This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We'll now recognize our witness. Please welcome Ms. Cecile Richards. In 2015, on September 29th, Cecile Richards put on a pin of her mom's, the one that always reminded her of a sheriff's badge, taped a photo of her kids inside a binder of notes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And testified before Congress. Planned Parenthood has been in the news recently because of deceptively edited videos released by a group that is dedicated to making abortion illegal in this country. This was almost three years ago. And I remember watching bits of the five-hour-long hearing throughout my day. Cecile Richards would give these calm, firm smiles while various congressmen tried to goad her into saying something stupid. Does any of these uh, funds go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo? Congressman, uh, let me tell you... No, 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 no. We don't have time for a big narrative. I'm not going to give you a... Yes or no? You asked me a question. Cecile looked like presidential Barbie. Cropped blonde hair navy suit dress, long legs, and smart heels. At the time, she was running an organization with a budget of over $200 million, one with a mission that's important to me and many of our listeners, providing health care to 2.7 million patients, mostly low-income women. And that health care was having a measurable effect. In 2015, the nation had fewer unplanned pregnancies than it had had in 30 years. But Cecile was asked to defend her salary. Your compensation in 2009 was $353,000. Is that correct? I don't have the figures with me, but I'm... It was. Congratulations. That same year, I was having my own feminist awakening. I started noticing things like how a male colleague asked me to repeat something I'd just said to him. I'm going to tell you what I tell my kids, he said. Say that one more time, without all the likes. I was stunned to silence. I didn't have the words to defend myself and explain why his comment was, like, really sexist. Why I don't think you need health If you want to be a private entity, be a private entity. But you don't need federal dollars in order to do this. I don't use federal dollars to do that, sir. I remember looking at Cecile Richards on the television and wondering, how do you get to that level? How do you show grace under pressure without crying, without 
ripping off your itchy blazer and throwing a bottle of Midol at the Speaker of the House. Ms. Richards, uh, this is my 27th year in Congress. I can assure you I've seen many male witnesses treated much tougher than you've been treated here today. And also, uh, surely you don't expect us, I I can assure you I'm not going to be tough on you, but surely you don't expect us to be easier on you because you're a woman. Uh, Absolutely not. Today on the show... That's not how my mama raised me. How Cecile Richards' mama raised her. In her most formative years, Cecile watched her mom, Ann Richards, go from frustrated housewife all the way to the governor of Texas. Being a mom, you deal with a lot of stuff, right? And so I think it is good preparation for for anything, potentially also including a, a congressional hearing. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and this year, more women than ever are getting involved in politics, running for office, marching. And you know, we could ask Cecile about all of her accomplishments with Planned Parenthood in the past 12 years, but we wanted to take this opportunity to go further back to when Cecile first had her own awakenings, about leadership, about having a voice, supporting other women. And a lot of that came from witnessing the feminist awakenings of her own firecracker mother. Ann Richards, Cecile's mom, was 19 when she married her high school sweetheart, David, in Waco, Texas. In Anne's autobiography, there's this passage about when she first got pregnant that I'm going to read to you. It's chilling and beautiful and kind of weird. My mother scared up a tiny newborn rabbit in the yard and brought it to me. I nursed that little rabbit like it was a baby. Then a dog killed it, and I had my first child the next day, July 15th, 1957. It was a girl, and I'd planned for a long time to name my first girl Cecile. My dad was a a civil rights attorney and a labor lawyer, and my mother was a, quote, housewife, unquote. That's what we called it in the time. In fact, really, when I grew up in Dallas, the kids I went to school with, really no one's mother worked. So it was a very, very different time. Mom spent most of her time raising four of us, and she also spent a lot of time trying to do everything that the glossy magazines told her she needed to do. Back then, Anne was always out shopping. Oh, my God. It was crazy. Like, well, one, I guess because she had four kids, she was shopping for dinner, you know, pretty much it seems like constantly. She was constantly making a meal. But also in Dallas, you know, people kind of colored within the lines. So there was a lot of getting her hair frosted and going and wearing girdles and buying, like, clothes that somehow looked like Dallas. What are some of your earliest memories of your mom? Well, definitely um, holidays. That was the huge thing because I think she looked forward to those because it was a chance to just really blow it out. So Easter, enormous. I mean, it wasn't just like we would die some Easter eggs. We would die dozens of Easter eggs. We would have over 50 people. We would have the, you know, it would take weeks to actually prepare all the little cellophane-wrapped jelly beans. And everything had to be just so, you know, Christmas was you know, there was no way the tree could be anything other than the biggest, the most incredible. In fact, you know, she used to like let us kids all decorate the tree. And then after we went to bed, she would carefully take down all the ornaments and refix it so that it would look perfect. Did you have a sense that she wanted more? I didn't really know. I mean, of course, I was just growing up. But, you know, Dallas in the time was very traditional. Women really, they did stay home uh, for the most part. And One of my earliest memories was, of course, going to the grocery store where she, the local grocery store where everyone's mother shopped. 
where she demanded to see the farm workers label on the lettuce. And that was, I mean, I think just forever kind of marked us as a bit of the troublemaker family. A huge part of Anne and David's social life centered on the University of Texas, where he studied law. And alongside all the dinner parties and hair quaffing, they did some events with the Young Democrats. Here's Ann Richards describing their first teensy political steps to the Texas Politics Project. We did it like other couples, you know, go bowling, (laughs) join dance clubs. We participated in political campaigns. We helped uh, rabble rouse, carry picket signs, uh, and we had a ball at it. Uh, We were involved in what they call the grassroots. If there was a protest, we were participants. And these were the days of the civil rights marches, the protests against a government that repressed African Americans in this country. And it was a great time to be a part of politics. As a kid, Cecile would come along for all of this. Her first dance wasn't at a junior high. It was at a VFW hall in support of United Farm Workers. And Anne thought of Cecile as her model child. So political action was part of the deal. One day, Anne got a call from Cecile's school, saying she'd been asked to leave for wearing a black armband, protesting the war in Vietnam. And between that and Cecile being told she was too tall for the cheerleading team, Anne found Cecile a different school. This was the early 1970s, a time of rapidly shifting cultural norms between generations. But Cecile says she and her mom could always talk. How did your mom handle sex ed with you? I would say she did her best, which was, I think, like a lot of families, a lot of moms, you know, she tried to kind of draw pictures, but she really never wanted to talk about sex or much of anything else. I think she just felt ill-equipped. I don't think she was trying to hide anything. I think she's honestly had no idea what to do. And that's true for a lot of parents. Do you remember anything she would have actually said to you about about sex? I remember she said, now, your father and I never had sex before we were married. And honest to God, I'm sure that was true. She said, but I do know other women who had sex before they got married. And she wasn't really making a judgment. I think she just wanted me to know that that could happen. That was possible. So when you were a teenager, what what would you and your mom fight about? Oh, my God, everything. Look, hair. Why are mothers and daughters just destined to fight about hair? I don't know. So it was either, you know, get my hair out of my eyes or my hair is too long. You know, your seams had to match and the hems had to be right. And I think, you know, it drove her a bit crazy that I wasn't interested in clothing or makeup or any of the things that she had grown up thinking were sort of essential to being successful. But we really didn't fight about other things. We didn't fight about important things. Ann Richards, by the way, many years later, loved giving Hillary Clinton a hard time about her hair, too. And one time I was with Ann, and she sort of looked at me in that way she had, and she said, you know, really, you got to make up your mind. You either just have to do something that people forget about and pay no attention to, or you got to make a statement. <laughs> Hillary, at the time a first lady, sick of seeing her hair steal more headlines than Bosnia or Kosovo, took Anne's advice. Well, you can see with yourself, your own eyes, what my choice was. 
Hillary did not go for the full bouffant, though if you read her Twitter bio today, she does jokingly call herself a hair icon. And then in late 1971, when Anne's kids were finally all school age, when she'd finished making that addition to their house in Austin, Anne got a call asking her to meet with this young lawyer, Sarah Weddington. Anne remembered reading about her in the newspaper. Sarah was 25 years old with curly blonde hair, and she'd just argued her first case in front of the Supreme Court. She's still the youngest person to have ever done that. And this little case, you might have heard of it. It's called Roe versus Wade. She was a lawyer in practice in Austin, and she could not open a bank account in her own name. Even that, right? You had to have your husband co-sign to get credit. And it made her so mad that Sarah decided she wanted to run for the state legislature and actually try to make differences for women. Sarah Weddington was the first out-and-out feminist Anne had ever met. Sarah wanted to pass laws that would stop the practice of putting women rape victims on trial for their character. She wanted to make it illegal to fire a teacher because of pregnancy. And she wanted Anne to run her campaign. That was actually the first job she had at all. And that was a revelation. And of course, even though she had a job then, she took all of us with her. It wasn't like she got to leave us at home and someone else took care of us. So all four of us kids were involved in that campaign. As she's running it, we're handing out bumper stickers and putting up yard signs and doing all the kinds of things that you do in a campaign. And that was sort of wonderful because I think it was a way we could see her doing something other than making dinner, if you will. And Anne's background running a household came in handy. During a Democratic fair, when Sarah's campaign was low on funds, Anne had this great idea of asking a local paper company to donate paper sacks. Sarah would sign them, and soon their booth had a line, everyone clamoring for a Sarah sack to help them collect bumper stickers, pins, and other freebies from all the other candidates. It was a huge hit. When she got to throw herself into political campaigns, it was a perfect matchup because she loved nothing better than get everyone organized at the table, you know, on a, on a big project. It worked, and Sarah's political career took off. She would later become an assistant to President Jimmy Carter. And Anne went back to happily running her household. She went to the PTA meetings, gardened, took care of her pets. Happy suburban mom once again. But then one day, the story goes, Anne was hosting a dinner party for fellow young Democrats. And everyone was complaining about the county commissioner over their martinis. This guy was county commissioner in our area, was really just a hack, and he really needed to go. And suddenly, somebody gets an idea. These friends of my parents said to my dad, why don't you run? You should run against him. Why not? And if you ever met my father, you'd know that he's like the last person who's really cut out for public office and that, I mean, he has no tolerance for idiots. And then dad turned to mom and said, well, Ann, why don't you run? You know more about politics. You know more about any of this than I do. And she said there was just this dead silence. And not a single person said, well, that's a great idea. Ann should run. Okay, it's not just that women in politics were unimaginable. There's something about this particular job that they were talking about. Oh, my God, women did not run for county commissioner because those are the folks that paved roads and built bridges, and that was just not seen as women's work. But Anne hesitated for another reason. She was worried that running for public office herself would be the end of her marriage. But David told her, you've given me 22 years of your life. 
not much to ask for me to give you some years of mine to help run this house and take care of the kids. He agreed to become the carpooler, the planner, and the feeder. So Anne decided to run. She said, if you're trying to wait until everything is lined up, your kids are the right age, you have all the right experience, life is going to pass you by. Anne was starting her political life just as Cecile was getting ready to leave for Brown University out east, just as the nation was debating the Equal Rights Amendment. Things were moving fast, and in this moment of national upheaval, Cecile remembers Anne taking her shopping for wool, mid-calf, A-line skirts, which is what she thought students were wearing in the Ivy League. So I wouldn't say that she knew what was out there for me, but I don't think she ever regretted that I left Texas to try to find it. The night before Cecile left for college, her parents went out to dinner and came home having too much to drink, which was common. Anne came by a room, tipsy and teary about Cecile leaving. Cecile remembers knowing then that her parents were struggling in their marriage more than they might have been letting on. And her mom's drinking wasn't helping. As Cecile packed, she felt like she was leaving the scene of an accident by going away to school. In a bit, Anne's political career catches fire, while Cecile finds her own flame. Stay with us. Can you say advertisements? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at When Cecile got to Brown University, it was 1976. She tucked her wool wardrobe into the back of her closet and tried to fit into the East Coast prep school culture. Rugby shirts, topsider shoes. Soon, she found herself doing what she knew from back home, agitating. She got involved organizing on behalf of campus workers, janitors, and librarians, helping organize to pressure school into divesting from South Africa, take down apartheid. But when it came time to graduate, a lot of her counterculture friends were going straight, taking jobs on Wall Street, becoming psychiatrists, working in publishing. When I left college, I decided I wanted to be a union organizer, which is maybe seems like kind of a funny career choice. Um, Why would it seem like a funny career choice? Well, because there was, I mean, no one else I knew was doing that. And there was no one recruiting at Brown University for union organizers. So I kind of had to figure it out. So I actually went and learned Spanish in Guatemala. And then I moved to the Rio Grande border and started organizing garment workers. Found out that it was work I really loved. Then I moved to New Orleans to organize hotel workers. And that's where I met my husband. You were his boss. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, sort of. I mean, yeah. 
makes it sound like I was a big deal, but I wasn't. I was constantly trying to hire additional organizers, and not many people lasted because the job, the work was constant and the pay was terrible. And one day, Kirk arrived, and he came. He had come down from Massachusetts. And I looked at him, and I said, like, there is no way this guy is going to stay. I mean, he was he had a car, number one. That was amazing. He was dressed, like, really nicely, like he had on khaki pants, and they looked like they'd been pressed, and he had, you know, a, a clean shirt. You know, he kind of looked like a, like a Jesuit or some kind of, like, altar boy. And, of course, it turned out he was an altar boy earlier in his life. But anyway, I just thought, there's no way this guy's going to make it. And I sent him out that day to do some door knocking out in the Desire Projects. And he came back and turned out people liked him. He's a great guy. And he loved the work. And we just kept at it for years and years and years and years and years. Cecile and Kirk decided to get married. And they did it on a hot night in June back in Texas at Ann Richards's new house, where Ann now lived alone. Like Cecile predicted when she left for school, change had been in the works. Her mom became county commissioner, got sober, got divorced. At the wedding, there were civil rights lawyers and congressmen in attendance. Everyone sang a rousing version of the labor anthem, Solidarity Forever. And Cecile and Kirk planned to have the kind of marriage where they'd always be calling the shots together. So we moved out to L.A., and I was actually out to dinner with my best friend, Jill Whitten, and her mother, Virginia. She was my mother's best friend. And Kirk was off organizing somewhere, and I said, I don't really feel that good. And Virginia looked at me and she said, I bet you're pregnant. And I was like, really? I had no idea. And it turned out I was pregnant. So that was, that was about as much planning as I did to have our first child. Cecile Richards would later go on to run an organization called Planned Parenthood. Uh, sorry, couldn't resist. I mean, I was on birth control, but like a lot of people, birth control isn't 100% effective and... Then it was like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have a kid. Cecile and Kirk had to figure out what their version of being parents would look like. Was she just going to drive this new baby girl all over L.A., strapped to her back, and head straight to the picket lines? Kirk was like, yeah, that could work. Yeah, it worked out. I just brought Lily along for the ride, and she turned out great. (laughs) So in those early days, you and your husband are navigating, you know, how are we going to divide this immense responsibilities and how will our marriage look different than my parents' marriage? How will we not have resentment build if my political career takes priority before yours? Right. Well, those are things I think we did have to navigate. You know, when I had Lily and, I mean, both of us had these big responsibilities, big staffs, big campaigns. And I remember at some point turning to Kirk and saying, look, I can't take care of you and this baby too. And it was really like a day of reckoning. We just had to figure out this child now needs us and in a way that neither of us have ever had to, you know, sort of move our stake before. And raising Lily was a huge learning experience. From Anne's generation to Cecile's, from a 60s mom to an 80s mom, parenting looked totally different. The energy that Anne used to put into planning an Easter egg hunt, Cecile could now put into organizing janitors, deciding whether or not she was going to get arrested. I mean, so being arrested at a sit-in just meant I had to make sure someone was going to pick her up from daycare. And, you know, I was really involved in organizing janitors in downtown Los Angeles. These are mainly immigrant janitors. They were earning a minimum wage. And the only way to get the attention of the building owners was we had to 
really make a ruckus during the day because they worked at night and no one even knew their janitor. They didn't know what was going on. And so we just got to the point where I said, unless we do something dramatic, nothing's going to change. And so we decided that we would actually hold a sit-in. But I'm thinking, okay, Kirk's out of town. You know, Lily's daycare closes at five. And I know if I get arrested, you know, someone's going to have to pick her up. And so I I got my friend Jono, who was a fellow organizer, and I said, look, you're going to have to take take the truck. I'll get you the permission slip. You pick up Lily. And then when I get out of jail, I'll call you and I'll come get her. And that's what actually happened. We went to jail. We eventually, of course, did get a contract for all the janitors in downtown Los Angeles. So that was good. And Lily and Jono were like, you know, became fast friends. <laughs> um, but these are the kinds of things women have decided or parents have to decide all the time is like, you know, Someone's got to make sure to pick up the kids. The only time I didn't remember to pick up my kids, my kids never let me forget about it. When <laughs> and was that? Oh, my gosh. It was after piano lessons. And my son, Daniel, well, I mean, he can still kind of get, like, his eyes all well up about the time that I forgot to pick them up from piano lessons. Anyway, I mean, he's gotten over it, but you never forget it as a parent. <laughs> Her son, Daniel, is one of two twins, Hannah and Daniel, who Cecile had five years after Lily. And also after her mom, Anne became a genuine political superstar. Back when Lily was a baby on the picket lines, Ann Richards was serving as Texas state treasurer. That's not a fancy office, really. But Ann was the first woman to be elected to a statewide office in over 50 years. And she made the most of it. Ann started working on national committees. She tried to help Jimmy Carter pass the Equal Rights Amendment. She served on a committee to select the vice presidential nominee in 1985, Geraldine Ferraro. And also, Anne made a name for herself, roasting politicians. One roast invite would lead to another. Eventually, she found herself roasting Walter Cronkite. Anne believed her humor was an important political tool, that once you laugh, your mind opens, and you're better able to hear the ideas being presented to you. And maybe that's why. In 1988, Anne got the call that presidential candidate Michael Dukakis wanted her to give the keynote address at the Democratic National Convention. It was huge. It was just incalculable how exciting and important that was. And Mother attacked it just like everything she did with just military-like precision. I mean, it was, she had to have the perfect dress. All that shopping back in Dallas came in handy. Tonight, America is lucky. We're going to get to know a rare and very special new political leader. America, meet Ann Richards. It's a brilliant blue that matched her eyes. And I still remember her going through dress after dress. You know, she knew it had to to be perfect. And it had to be perfect on TV. And uh, she was right. I mean, it mattered. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Buenas noches, mis amigos. I mean, no one knew exactly how it would go. I'm delighted to be here with you this evening because after listening to George Bush all these years, I figured you needed to know what a real Texas accent sounds like. Twelve years ago, Barbara Jordan, another Texas woman. Barbara made the keynote address to this convention. And two women in 160 years is about par for the course. 
One of the things she figured out that uh, still too many people forget, which is her audience wasn't that auditorium. It wasn't that convention center. Her audience were millions of people. But if you give us a chance, we can perform. After all, Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards and in high heels. Boy, if that isn't still true. When you were, you know, in that room workshopping the speech with her, did you have a sense of the lines that would become so historic to this day? Oh, yeah. I mean, you could tell, you know, and it was funny because, um, you know, I mean, people were faxing in lines like crazy. Those are the days of fax machines. You know, Lily Tomlin is, is you know, sending lines. Who your and, daughter's name for. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then, of course, and this probably doesn't even happen these days, somehow my two brothers and my sister and I all got to sit on the stage in Atlanta while she delivered it. And uh, that was, it was wonderful. And for eight straight years, George Bush hasn't displayed the slightest interest in anything we care about. There was a question about whether or not to leave in this next line, but Cecile's husband, Kirk, told Anne not to let herself be talked out of it. Poor George. He can't help it. He was born with a silver foot in his mouth. He was very understanding. In fact, he gave her a silver foot pin uh, one time. From her seat on the stage, Cecile watched her mom make history. And in the audience, she could see Kirk and her baby Lily sitting on his lap. Kirk, who's not a crier, was starting to tear up. I'm a grandmother now. And I have one nearly perfect granddaughter named Lily. And when I hold that grandbaby, I feel the continuity of life that unites us, that binds generation to generation, that ties us with each other. Anne adored Lily. In her book, she wrote, There's something about a grandchild. It's the first time you have the experience of seeing your life stretch beyond you. You don't really see it with your own children because you're so busy with the direct responsibility of their upbringing. But with a grandchild, it's as if you know that your life will go on after you're dead. And as I look at Lily, I know that it is within families that we learn both the need to respect individual human dignity and to work together for our common good within our families, within our nation. It is the same. That day, folks around the convention hall were heard saying, we're running the wrong candidate. After the speech, Ann Richards' own elderly parents were giving news interviews. The announcer asked, did you ever think your daughter would be doing something like this? Ann's dad replied, why hell, I didn't even know there was of this. For Cecile and her daughters and all the women watching on television, they now knew that there was a this. She really, to me, was liberated during the women's movement. That was suddenly, it's like, you know, the curtains are pulled back and she realizes, okay, there's so much more I could be doing. And then she didn't waste any time doing it. And I think really till the end of her life, one of the things that just grated on her was that for all the progress we'd made as women— that she could see that I and then probably her granddaughters were going to be fighting the same fights. 
that speech paved the way for Ann Richards to become what she's best known for, the silver-haired, silver-tongued governor of Texas. She served one term, where she introduced a substance abuse program in Texas prisons, opposed the sale of assault weapons, and appointed an unprecedented number of women and people of color into important posts, before being defeated by George W. Bush and never running for public office again. I think she'd become actually more radical, you know, as she aged and was frustrated that women uh, couldn't make more progress more quickly. She taught women's leadership classes, supported Democratic candidates, and watched her grandkids grow up. For mom and I, we just became so much closer as I sort of went into my career and she continued to pursue her career. Uh, I think our we had, I mean, obviously we still had a mother-daughter relationship, but I would say we were peers as much as anything else because she just liked to, you know, I think we shared the same interest and we're obviously both completely committed to women's rights. And so there's always plenty to complain about. Ann Richards passed away in 2006. But Cecile tries to carry her spirit through all of her work, including both being a leader and a mom. In a bit... More from Cecile about all the planned and unplanned things that happen when you're a parent. Don't go away. Oh, you have your mouth pulled, don't you? Advertisements. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. <laughs> Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. We're back, and I've been talking with Cecile Richards, who was the president of Planned Parenthood for the past 12 years. As a mom, Cecile made a point of never caring what was going on with her kids' clothes or hairstyles. I figured I had spent all my life trying to like wear the right thing and look the way my mother wanted me to look, and I just let them do whatever they wanted to do, which did end up in some kind of unfortunate fashion choices, <laughs> particularly early on. There was a while when Lily, who always wanted to have like long flowing golden hair, but never did, she used to wear skirts on her head kind of so that they would kind of fall back down her back as if she, and she kind of tossed her head with a skirt on it, which was fine with me. I mean, it looked funny in the grocery store, but no one really ever said anything. Hannah was into tucking everything in. So she used to tuck her sweatshirts into like the tightest, tightest little leggings. We called her Tuck. That was kind of her thing. And she had a pair of red cowboy boots she refused to take off for a couple of years. But you know what? It was great. It was like her way of expressing herself. Daniel didn't like to wear clothes at all. So that was actually probably the bigger problem. Raising her kids, Cecile described her work-life balance as more of a blur. And for a moment, shortly after the family had moved to D.C., when Cecile was between jobs, she wondered if it was time to try out being the kind of mom she grew up with. I thought about for the first time in my life not working full-time and being home when they got home from school. Now, at this point, you know, Lily's in junior high, and 
the twins are in elementary school. And they looked at me like, have you lost your mind? I think, I mean, I think it was both. They thought, you are not the mom who's going to be home, like, ready to bake cookies when we get home from school. And two, oh, my God, we've had all this freedom for all these years. The last thing we want to see is you when we get home. Managing our family the way you manage your nonprofit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, a job came up and I jumped at it and, the, the, you know, the rest is history. But it was a kind of a funny moment when the three of them looked at me like, okay, someone here is crazy. I don't know if it's you or us, but this isn't going to work. What did you do in that short-lived window? You know, I started getting involved in the PTA and then there was a school play and I thought, okay, well, I'll make all the costumes for the school play because I've got some free time. So that's what I did. I committed to make all the costumes for the sixth grade school play. The play that year was The Wiz. All 60 sixth graders were in the play. And Cecile became obsessed with projects like how to glue fake wings onto leather jackets for the winged monkeys. And so I was busy doing that when I got a call about a possible job. And I was like, I, I said, well, I don't know. I could come talk to you, but I've got a dress rehearsal tonight. So I can't, I can't do that till tomorrow because, you know, we're not finished. I've got to still glue all the stars onto this and that. I was really into it. I mean, I was really committed. The next day, she went into a meeting about this possible job at the offices of Senator Tim Worth. So the next morning, I still had, you know, glitter glue all over my hands. And I realized I didn't have any pantyhose without a run in them. So I just put them on anyway. I race downtown and walk into his office, and it's it's Tim Worth, who I'd never met, and Jane Fonda and Ted Turner. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? But they hired me, so I guess it worked. They were looking to hire someone to run their new reproductive rights organization. And she took it. And that eventually led to the job running Planned Parenthood. What are your kids up to these days? Hannah's an organizer, you know, woman after my own heart. And Daniel is um, in a PhD program in chemistry. And Cecile's oldest daughter, Lily, who has the middle name Anne. Lily, um, she is literally the Anne Richards just like, I feel like I'm just the genetic transfer between Anne Richards and, and Lily. She works for Kamala Harris, the senator from California. She's her communications director. She's She worked for Hillary. She worked for Senator Tim Kaine. She's done a lot. Senator Dick Blumenthal. She's been on this crazy political path. When Lily got her job working communications on Hillary's campaign, Cecile took her shopping, like her mom did with the wool skirts. And Cecile bought Lily two perfect navy blue suits. Suits that she never wound up wearing. Cecile Richards doesn't know or maybe isn't sharing yet what her next step will be. But it's clear that the path Anne paved for Cecile and for Lily and for thousands of other women is being put to use. I think there's a myth out there that women women somehow don't support other women. At least in my experience, there was nothing that gave her greater joy than see other women succeed. And that to me, actually, that's what I'm seeing today. I feel like women are actually doing things more with other women more excited about other women getting ahead than any time in my lifetime. Ginger Rogers might have done it backwards and in heels. But this year, more than ever before, she's coming for Fred's job. Cecile Richards is the author of the memoir, Make Trouble. Standing up, speaking out, and finding the courage to lead. 
written with Lauren Peterson. And I want to recommend Anne Richards' memoir as well. It's called Street from the Heart, My Life in Politics and Other Places, published in 1989. And we want to hear from you guys. How did watching your mother's career, maybe the one that began after you left home, shape how you approached your working life and your family? Are you going after Fred Astaire's job? Tell us all about it. Longestshortesttime.com. This episode of our show was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. We were edited today by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, Kristen was a new mom sitting on her unmade bed. When she gets her latest perky email from Baby Center, tracking her baby's progress. One of the emails said, well, you know, all of this hard work you've been putting in will be rewarded when your baby first smiles. But Kristen is blind. (laughs) And I was so sad because I thought, I'm not going to see him smile. Tune in to hear how she documented that first smile in her own way. Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. Right now, we're looking to hear about innovative ways your kids are starting their own businesses. Back in the day, it turns out Hillary and I both sold potholders at the ends of our driveways. But these days, kids can sell all sorts of stuff online, even slime. Tell us about a kid entrepreneur you admire. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. (laughs) Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart Pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to (laughs) sneeze at. (laughs) I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart.